0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.
1: Numbers chapter 13. Let me bring you up to speed on the at the point in time that we'll begin to read. Children of Israel have been delivered from Egypt. Came out from under Pharaoh's bondage. God led them through the Red Sea, part of the Red Sea for them. They went through on dry ground. Pharaoh and his armies chased after them. The Red Sea came back together and drowned them. Destroyed God destroyed in one day the most powerful um, army, military force on the face of the earth at that point in time. One single act. Folks, God does not have a problem protecting you. I don't care how big the enemy is. I don't care how threatening the circumstance looks. God does not have a problem protecting his people. But now they come to the edge of the promised land. It's about two and a half years, a little bit less than two and a half years after the Red Sea incident where God delivered them. They come to the edge of the promised land. This is the land that God had spoken to Moses to tell the people about even before they left Egypt. I'm leading you to a good land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's watered with the rains of heaven. All kinds of good stuff God's told them about this promised land. Now they're at the edge of it. The only thing that's that's delayed them between the time that they were delivered from Egypt and when they come to the edge of the promised land is two things. One is they took time to receive God's instruction, the word or what we know of as the law, what the Bible calls the law of God. Secondly, it took them time to get from one place to another place and move five to seven million people from point A to point B. Now they're there. And so what does Moses do? He takes one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel and sends them into the land to spy out the land. And then come back and report to the children of Israel, report all the people, Moses and all the people uh, with him. Tell us what's on the other side of the boundaries. So they come back. And notice it says, it tells us about the 12 spies and their actions. It says, beginning in verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel. And verse 27, and they told him and said, We came into the land whether thou sentest us. And surely it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Now, the, the fruit of it, and if we backed up a couple of verses, you'd find uh, that they took a cluster of grapes that they hung on a stick between two people to carry. Biggest thing anybody had ever seen. Two men are having to carry this one cluster of grapes. They brought back pomegranates that were bigger than anything that they'd ever seen. In other words, it's evidence, it's proof that this is a land that flows with milk and honey, just like God said. So they said, we brought back, um, uh, the. Uh, we went into the land, came into the land, whether thou sentest, and, and surely it flows with milk and honey. And here's the proof, here's the fruit of it. Verse 28, nevertheless. In other words, good news, bad news. Here's what we saw. The good news is, it is exactly what God said. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Bad news, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Now, that must be real trouble for them. They interpret it as, oh, these are people that are too tough for us. However, at that moment, up until this point in time, they haven't done anything wrong. Remember, what the end result is, is an evil heart of unbelief in the people. So far, it's not there. So far, they're simply reporting, here's what we saw. Here's the stuff we're bringing back. And we saw cities that have big walls around them. We saw... Strong people that live there. We saw children of Anak. We saw Amalekites. We saw Jebusites. We saw all, all other kinds of people. But up to that point, nothing has been done that indicates an evil heart of unbelief. And immediately Caleb jumps in. Caleb stills the people. Folks, I want you to understand the things that you see are designed by the devil to stir your emotions. Please understand that's how the devil's always going to try to work against you. He's always going to try to bring thoughts to stir emotions. Caleb stills the people. What does that imply? It implies that the people are starting to get worked up. Oh, no. The children of Anak are there. The Amalekites. The Jebusites. The Canaanites are there too. Oh, no. And they've got cities. People are starting to get stirred up. But Caleb steps in immediately. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said. Everybody say the word Said. said. Please keep in mind that what we saw about the principle of faith in Mark chapter 11 verse 23 was all about whosoever shall say your words are hugely important. If you're going to keep your heart from doubt, it really comes down to controlling your words. Now hold your finger here in verse or in uh, Numbers chapter 13 and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21. Death And life are in the power of the tongue. Notice it does not say the power of death and life are in the tongue. No, power is not in death and life. Power is in the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it, in other words, love the principle of you can have what you say, shall eat the fruit thereof. But there's a negative meaning to that too. Another translation, I think it's Taylor's translation, says it this way. It says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love to talk will suffer the consequences. Men have died for saying the wrong thing, it goes on to say. But the men that went up with him said, We'd be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report. Can I ask you a question? Why is it verse 32 at the end of verse 29? Why doesn't it say, when they said, here's the fruit of the land, it's the land that flows with milk and honey, here's the fruit of it, to prove it. But we saw the people that, that are there, they're strong, they've got cities with walls around them. The sons of Anak are there, the children of, of uh, the Jebusites, Canaanites, the Amal- uh, Amalekites are there, Canaanites are in a certain part too. Why doesn't the Bible say in verse, the, verse 29, and they brought up an evil report? Because they had not up until that point. Where does their evil heart of unbelief begin? when they take the circumstances, the things that they saw, and interpret them to speak against what God said they could do. That's the evil heart of unbelief. That's the keeping your heart from doubt that Jesus said would rob you of blessings. Remember Mark eleven twenty-three, 23, where we started earlier in the service? Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Now we know what doubting in your heart means. That means speak against what you've previously said, or speak against what God says. And shall not doubt in his heart, but believe in his heart. Well, what does that mean now? That means continue to say what God said. Continue to maintain your profession of faith. But shall believe... that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. In other words, your words, death and life, are in the power of the tongue, but your tongue only has power to bring blessing if you maintain your profession. Can you see what he's saying? The people said, we can't do it. The men that went up with him said, we can't do it. And so they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying... What was the evil report? What they said. What was the evil heart of unbelief? What they said. When they said, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. They go on to say, verse 33, And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak. Boy, they've got a problem with these guys, don't they? There we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which we were come of the giants, and we were in our own sight. Please notice that phrase. So we were in their sight. Folks, they're assuming something that's not true. But that's what circumstances are designed by the devil to do. They're designed to, by the devil to make you think less of yourself, more of your enemy, so that you'll be afraid, so that you'll speak against what God said. And all the people, verse chapter 14, verse 1, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Why? They have come. Think about this from God's point of view. Think about yourself. Imagine you're sitting together with God in heaven looking down and say, why are those people crying? God says, I have no idea. Yeah, but they're right on the edge of the promised land that you promised them. Yeah, I know. And look what you did to get them there. Yeah, I know. They're right in the place to do what you said they could do and take the land and and enter into their possession. And it's your will. Folks, please understand this. It is God's will for them to take the land at this moment. But even with all that, even with everything that the people have done, even though they brought up an evil report, it's not yet too late. How do we know? Because it says, uh, verse 6, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, he's the other one of the twelve spies. He hadn't spoken yet. But he uh, is apparently of the same... Point of view, the same belief as Caleb, because now they're joining together. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunah, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spoke unto the, all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we have passed through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey only, verse 9, only rebel not. Against the Lord. In other words, he's saying you're on the path to rebellion, folks. Please understand this. This is why it's evil. That's why doubt and and unbelief is evil in the sight of God. It's rebellion against what God said. Now, folks, think about this in the family context. If you tell your kid, if your kids tell you how much they love you, but they rebel against what you told them to do. Them saying they love you doesn't change the fact that they're rebelling against what you told them. Now, so much of the church world just wants to fall on this love God stuff. Well, I have great feelings toward God. Oh, I just love God so much. I refuse to act on His Word, but, you know, I won't do what He said. But, oh, I love God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus defined love for God as doing what the Bible says to do. I know, that's hard. That's uncaring. Pastor Mike, you're just uncompassionate. Yeah, I know, but besides all that, the Bible still says it. <laughs> it's not yet too late. Joshua and Caleb are trying to turn him around. He says, only rebel not against the Lord. In other words, get off this track your own. How would they do that? By, change what they, by changing what they're saying. They could turn around right there and say... Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, what were we thinking? Of course, God's big enough to do this. Yeah, even if we are afraid, even if we have questions about how this is all going to work, God did say that it was our land, didn't He? They could have. It's not yet too late. He says, only rebel not against the Lord. Only rebel ye not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. Notice what thoughts and and the things that that you see, circumstances, are designed by the enemy to do. They're designed to make you afraid.
0: This is Foothill Family Church with
1: Mike Webb. My mother called up and said, you have to turn on the TV, you have to watch this man. Suddenly we're watching it every Sunday. It started the whole, well, maybe we should go to church. We're going to get out of our pajamas on Sunday morning and we're going to go to church. And now you can't get us to not come to church and pastors teaching you know it was outstanding on television but you were kind of shocked by how much more there was when it wasn't just the half an hour but you know his full message holy spirit said through paul christ is the head you're the body where are the feet are the feet in the head no the feet are in the body that means if he put all things under his feet and you're the body of Christ and he's the head over all things to the church, which is his body, that means all things are under your feet.
0: Join us Sundays at 9.30
1: a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays
0: at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.
1: Folks, whatever it is you're facing, whether it's the banker, whether it's your job situation, whatever, whoever is behind it, whoever is involved in it, there's nobody for you to be afraid of. God's on your side. You've got a promise. You've got a scripture that says God will take care of you that cannot fail. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I'm beginning to sink. Then start saying what the Bible says again. That's the time to step it up. Neither fear ye the people, for they are bread for us. Their defense has departed from them, and the Lord is with them. Fear the fear, Lord is with us. Fear them not. What's he saying? He's saying they're the ones that grew all this stuff for us. That's what he means, bread for us. They're the ones that are going to provide us with all their stuff. Verse 10, but all the congregation. They've got a choice again. Second time they've had the choice. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Now if God gets involved. God says, I've had enough of this. Folks, there comes a point where you can't turn things around in faith. There comes a point where you make your decision, that's it, you're done. God goes on to tell them, verse 28, Say unto them, here's what he says, Tell Moses, Moses, here's what I want you to tell the people. As truly as I live, saith the Lord, As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. In other words, he's saying, God is saying, all right, everybody in this story is going to get exactly what they said. And what does that mean? Caleb and Joshua said, we can take the land. Forty years later, they take the land. All the people said, well, we wish we could go back to Egypt. That's too late. Maybe we could just die. It would have been better for us to die in the wilderness. What happens to this generation? They die in the wilderness. Everybody gets exactly what they said. Why? Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. Folks, you're always going to have what you say. Positive or negative, you're always going to have what you say. Always going to have what you say. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 6. We'll start reading verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Stop right there and think with me for a minute. Is Jesus saying never give a thought to your life? Is that realistic? Is anybody ever going to be able to live their life without thinking what's coming next? Does God really want you to go through life and not plan for tomorrow? Well, no, that that contradicts other scriptures. So what does he mean where he says, Take no thought for your life? He doesn't mean don't think about things. He doesn't mean don't be concerned, don't give attention to things. He's saying don't worry. So Jesus is saying, Take no thought for your life. We'll explain, he'll explain what that means a little bit further. Take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Now he's going to use examples. Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than them? In other words, birds don't worry about what they're going to eat and God has plenty for them. Just like if you don't worry about what you're going to have to eat, God will take care of you too. Verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit, we might say one inch, to his stature? Folks, if worrying made you taller, we'd all be a little bit taller. It doesn't work. That's what Jesus is saying. It doesn't work. You can't control things by worrying. So the implication is, why worry? Verse 28, and why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin, And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? What's he saying? He's saying God will take care of your food. God will take care of your condition in life. God will take care of what you have to wear. He'll take care of where you have to, to live. God will take care of those things. Verse 31 Therefore, take no thought saying. What's the difference between legitimate planning, making preparations in life, concerns that we have? When I say concerns, I don't mean worry by that, but I mean giving proper attention to the things that we, that we have to do where our jobs are concerned, where our houses are concerned, where our families are concerned, where our personal appearance is concerned. Where does the, where's the dividing line between proper and appropriate attention to those things and worry Differentiate. What makes the line between those two? What you say. Therefore, take no thought, saying. Now, folks, let me stop right there and show you that Jesus is telling us a principle. There is never a thought that comes to your mind that can stop your faith. There is never a fear that comes to your to your emotions that can stop your faith from working. Why? Because the po- death and life are not in the power of the mind. Death and life are not in the power of your emotions. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. The only thing that can stop your faith from working is you saying something contrary to the Word or something that contradicts the faith that you've exercised before. That's why Jesus say- tells us the principle, Therefore, take no thought saying. In other words, He's showing you. He's faithful, consistent all the way through the Scripture, consistent to show you it's what you say that will govern you. Sure, you may have concerns. I've got bills. I've got some bills. We've got vacation bills. Okay, what are we going to do? That's extra money. How are we going to take care of this? I'm thinking all these things while I'm on vacation. All right, how are we going to do this? How am I going to work this out? How am I going to do those things? Okay, that's appropriate. I don't want to go in debt. I don't want to, you know, leave credit card bills stacked up where I'm paying people money for using credit cards and stuff. So you think, how am I going to do this? How am I going to shuffle this? How am I going to make sure that this is done and that's done? What what makes the difference between appropriate attention and worry? What you say. What you say. Therefore, take no thought saying, What shall we eat or wherewithal shall we drink? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God. Folks, what is the kingdom of God? You can't find anything as a definition of the kingdom of God that doesn't include His word. Because the word of God is that which reveals the kingdom of God to us. It's the revelation of who God is and what God has done and what belongs to us and who we are in Christ. You can't find any legitimate definition of the kingdom of God that doesn't include His Word. What's he saying? He's saying put the Word first. He's saying the same thing Proverbs 4, verse, uh, verse 20 says. My son, attend unto my words. Seek first the kingdom of God. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them, my words, not depart from before thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. What's that? all that mean? Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22 is an elaboration on seek first the kingdom of God. Now, why do we do that? Verse 23, Proverbs four twenty-three, Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it, out of your spirit, flow the issues of life. Jesus said in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 12, about verse 35, I think it is, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's talking about your words. He's talking about your words as being an expression of your spirit. In other words, if you have a faith-filled heart or spirit, that means you're going to be speaking God's word. If you have an evil heart of unbelief, that means you're going to be speaking contrary to God's word. And folks, make no mistake about it. Everything about the devil's work in your life and against you is to influence your words and your actions. Everything. He has only one way he can do that, and that's by bringing thoughts to your mind, either bringing the thoughts themselves or bringing circumstances to influence your thoughts. That's the only thing he can do. That's the only road that he can travel. The only one. The only one. Therefore, take no thought-saying. Instead, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, take no thought for the morrow. Again, he's talking about worry. He's not talking about appropriate attention. He's talking about worry. Therefore, take no thought for the morrow. Specifically, he's saying don't speak about what are we going to do tomorrow. Oh, my goodness, things look so terrible. How are we going to make it? That's what he's talking about. Take no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In other words, deal with the things at hand. Don't try to bring tomorrow into today too. What does that mean to us? Folks, that means very simply this. It means we're going to have to do just exactly what Jesus did. Every circumstance, every situation, every uh, condition that we face, we're going to have to have an answer for. In Mark chapter 11, where it te- he begins, uh, where he winds up telling us the, uh, uh, the principles of faith, it tells us that when he came to the fig tree, it looked fruitful. It looked like it had fruit on it. It was the time of year for it to have fruit. And he went to get fruit because he was hungry. He found that it had no fruit on it. It only had leaves. And the Bible says this. It says, And Jesus answering said, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Now, can I ask you a question? Why is Jesus answering a tree when it hasn't said anything to him? See, we think of answering people when they speak. Jesus understood that circumstances are the voice of the devil speaking. He understood that an unfruitful condition in his life was something to speak to. Do you understand that? He did. Jesus answered the tree that represented unfruitfulness and lack in his life. He answered it and said, No man eat fruit of thee here for, for, uh, hereafter forever. In other words, he's saying, You may not provide any fruit for me today, but this is the last individual you'll never provide fruit for. Next day, dried up from the roots. The point is very simply this, folks. Every situation. And here, this is the key. You remember over in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 10? It says, the weapon we war, uh, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's verse 4, I think it is. Verse 5 goes on to say, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How? With the, as many thoughts as the devil brings to you throughout the day, how are you going to bring every thought into the captivity? Of, uh, into captivity? unto the obedience of Christ. How can we do that? There is only one way you can, and that is to answer the thought with the word. Most people try to think the word when the thought comes, it contradicts it. That's not how you answer it. You answer the wrong thoughts by speaking what God's word says. That's exactly what Jesus did in Mark chapter 11. The circumstance represented something that contradicted God's provision in his life. So what did he do? He answered the circumstance and cursed it. He's literally saying, I don't allow unfruitful things in my life. So that's it for you, tree. Some people start feeling sorry for the tree. Poor old tree. Give me a break. The way to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ is to speak God's word because death and life are in the power of the tongue. The devil will bring wrong thoughts to you while you're believing God for something. The devil will bring wrong thoughts to you and tell you, you terrible thing, look at what you thought. You, it's not your thought until you say it. So the way to keep the devil's thoughts from ever becoming yours is never say what he brings to you. What are we going to do instead? Answer those thoughts with the Word of God because that's where the power of God is. The Bible says that the two elements of faith are to believe in your heart and to say with your mouth. Your words carry power in your life. Jesus went so far as to say that we would have whatever we said. Come join us at Foothill Family Church as we learn to speak God's Word.
0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb.
1: Holy Spirit said through Paul, Christ is the head, you're the body. Where are the feet? Are the feet in the head? No, the feet are in the body. That means if he put all things under his feet and you're the body of Christ and he's the head over all things to the church, which is his body, that means all things are under your feet. He's there to administrate, we're here in the field. He's at the home office, we're in the field. That's the only difference. We've been given His authority to use in the field. We've been given His place in the field. We have the same place with God, holy and without blame, as Jesus does Himself. Join us
0: Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.